Good morning. Yay, it is so awesome to be with you guys one more time. We have had such an incredible week. We love you guys. We love the school ministry students and your pastors. The spiritual mother and father of this house. Has God blessed you guys or what? Come on, give God some praise for your pastors, Charles and Nicole. Oh my goodness. We have been so blessed just for this week with them, so I'm jealous. You guys get them all the time. So, <laughs> um, Well, this morning we are going to talk um, a little bit about a united house. A united house, the power of unity. And um, we know, you know, like a, a trinity or a trio, a, a cord of three strands is not easily broken, right? I mean, one strand... Ah, easily broken. Two strands, it's a little bit harder, but three, it's united, and so then it's unbroken. You know, we see the same thing in, like, um, the science of metal technology. You know, to make a really strong metal, like, like steel, they combine different metals, like iron and other ones, and they melt them all together, and then they've got a much more uh, stronger, um, metal that doesn't, um, it prevents like corrosion, doesn't get corrupted, it doesn't rust, and it's, it's all that more powerful through the synergistic effect of the different pieces, and they come together as one. It's united. And um, this morning, we just want to understand how, um, you know, this applies to our spiritual life. And, and you know, when we look at God, he's, um, he's united because he is a trinity, right? He is three in one. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but we know the Lord our God is one Lord. He's totally unified, and that's a uniqueness in our Christian faith, to have, to have a God that is three in one, and we know there's, there's total unity between them, right? They're, they never disagree. They are always together, and that's the force that, that creates anything, that divine union. Um, the cool thing is, uh, we are created in, in their image, because that's what they said. The Father and the Son and Holy Spirit got together in Genesis, and they said what? Let us make man in our image. So the three of them got unified and said, hey, let's do this. And so then, then there's us, and we're created in the image of a trinity. So how many know we are also, we are a triune being, right? There are three members, three parts of our triune being. We're, we're a house. And so we've got, we've got a spirit, we've got a soul, and we've got a body. So we have, we have um, three parts of us that we also want to get into agreement and alignment. Um, because Jesus said, you know, a house divided itself against itself, it won't stand. You know, if there is division, if there is squabbling, if there is not agreement between the members of the house, then you don't get anywhere. Um, so we, we need to understand that we need uh, congruence within ourselves, okay, within our mind and our uh, spirit and then our body and the words of our mouth. And when we can get into that place of alignment an agreement, that unity within our triune being, we are very, very powerful. We are unstoppable force to the kingdom of God when we are in line with his mind, the mind of Christ. We're living out of the heart of God, and we're only speaking the things that God says. We've got all three parts of ourselves in agreement. 
So we just want to look, um, the first member of our little triune being um, that was created in the image of the Trinity, it's the, it's the soul. Um, the soul. So that's like, you know, that's our mind. And um, we, do not, we do not want to allow a thought to pass by our awareness unless we want to experience it. Okay, we don't want to think about it unless we want to live it. Um, because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So our thoughts are very creative. You know, we do not want to have a thought in our minds about ourselves that God, the Father, does not have in his mind about us. So if Jesus is thinking it, we want to be thinking it, because he's in us and we're in him. And those are the only kind of thoughts that we are going to engage, that we want to allow to pass through and um, that we would meditate on. So we can look a, a little bit, um, we can look in um, Scripture this morning, uh, and Second Corinthians chapter 10 actually talks about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and starting in verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Um, so that's pretty interesting. You know, we were talking about the mind. We're talking about thoughts and taking thoughts captive, and then it's talking about warfare. That's pretty interesting that the, the two of them would go together. And in another translation, it talks about casting down imaginations uh, that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. So that's any thought that doesn't line up with God's thoughts, and that's any picture, any imagination, any vision that doesn't line up with God's picture, his version, his best for us, his version of our life. We want to take it captive. We want to cast it down like a picture of me sick and weak. Oh, that's not God's picture for me. He's, I'm whole. I'm healed. That's what Jesus bought for me at the cross. So I'm not going to hold a picture in my mind of me sick or weak. I'm going to cast down that imagination. I'm going to take that thought captive, and I'm going to only look at pictures that line up with God's truth about me, that I'm healed, that I'm, that I'm whole. And um, we understand that, you know, what we're talking about warfare and why would it be important to take the thoughts captive? You know, that's what it's talking about. And here's the thing about Satan. He's the father of lies, right? The truth is not in him. When he speaks lies, he is speaking his native language. And that's all, that's all he ever does. He just deceives and he tricks. And it says in Genesis that the serpent um, was the most crafty of all the beasts of the field, and he was the most subtle. And that's the thing. You know, if Satan comes to us and says, hey, I'm Satan, I'm giving you a thought. Believe this, okay? Obviously, we're not going to do that. But he's subtle, and he's sneaky, and he will just drop a thought, like a little fiery dart, into our mind. And in that moment, we need to take it captive. And a lot of times, we don't realize that it's him. We're just like, oh, it's our thought, and then we engage it, and we ponder it, and we think that thought. But we don't, we don't want to do that. Um, we don't want to entertain that thought or meditate on it, because then that's going to create an, an imagination, a picture that is, it's a lie, right? And so we want to, um, we want to have the victory, so we don't look at lies, we don't think about them. And 
that's actually, that's kind of Satan's strategy. You know, if you, if we go back to the Garden of Eden, we can learn so much. Um, that was, you know, God's original intention for us. And they walked and talked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And that was God's vision, intimate, unbroken communion and fellowship. But Satan, he wanted to derail that, right? And this was his moment. This was a really strategic time. It was just Adam and Eve. He's like, if I can mess these guys up, you know, there goes the human race. So, so if I'm Satan, I'm going to be strategic. In this moment, I am going to pull out my biggest weapons, my most strongest, deadliest, supernatural, ballistic missiles, because I have got to, I've got to accomplish this mission of derailing mankind um, from God's intention for them. So, so what is the big, whoo, scary weapon that Satan brings out in the garden? It's just, yeah, it's just words that bring doubt, right? It's just lies, and it's just a thought. It's just, hey, did God really say? Did God really say? It got him to question God's goodness. It got him to question and doubt God's word. It got him to question and doubt their identity in him. But that was it. It was just a thought that he said, did God really say? And then Eve latched onto that. She's like, oh, did God really say? Is he, is he denying me? Is he not as good of a dad as I thought he was? He's holding something back from me. So in that moment, she should have taken that thought captive, but she didn't. And she just engaged it as her own. And she started thinking about it. And that created a picture in her heart, an imagination. She's like, oh, he's not a good dad. He can't be trusted. And so then, then she acted on that thought that Satan had introduced. She pondered it in her, in her mind, and then she created this picture in her heart, and then she acted on it. But it was really, it was her. You know, she decided to do that. That's kind of the progression of, of Satan's subtle strategy. And it's really not scary. And if we can understand how he works, then he, he will never be an issue in our lives again because we just realize um, that we don't listen to the thoughts and we don't uh, create those false pictures based on a lie. That's why we immediately um, take it captive. We arrest the thought and say, does this line up with God? Well, it doesn't. Ah, I'm taking it captive. Does this imagination line up with God? No, then I'm, I'm casting it down. We see it, it talks about this in James, um, you know, because it says in James 1, each one of us is tempted when by his own evil desires he's lured away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So, so that's the slippery slope. So it just starts as a little thought. And that's all that he can do. That's his, that's his only strategy. It's his only weapon, our words, little thoughts that he puts in there. He puts into our mind. And so just stop it at that moment, and then he, it doesn't go any further. So we want, to, we want to understand. You know, a lot of times we think of kind of spiritual warfare as something that happens outside of us. Um, but a lot of times it's actually happening within us. It's the battleground of our mind where we take these thoughts captive because um, we see, again, you know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You know, he wasn't forcing her to do anything. He didn't twist Steve's arm. He just introduced a thought. And in that moment, she should have, she should have lived into the mind of Christ. Um, so that was, that was an example of what not to do. 
um, but we see it in reverse, how we can just take that thought captive. So that's kind of the first part of our triune being, that we want to always get in line with God's thoughts. Whatever, you know, whatever he thinks about our situation, that's what we think. He doesn't think we're sick. He thinks, you know, we're healed. That's his opinion. So his opinion is our opinion. And that's, that's what we um, make sure all of our, our thoughts line up with is the mind of Christ. So the second member of our triune being, that was, that was our soul. And then the second member that we want to make sure we get in line, that we get united, is, um, is our, our spirits. Um, we're spirit, soul, and body. So our spirit, that's, that's our heart. And there's a, there's a battleground in our heart, too. And it's, it's emotions and it's feelings. Um, in, in our mind, it's the language of, of thoughts. And in our heart, it is the language of emotions. And this might sound, you know, kind of strange. Well, what in the world, you know, do, do emotions have to do with, like, spiritual warfare? Well, actually, scripturally speaking, they have a lot to do with it. You know, if we consider, if we considered lately, what our spiritual armor is even made of. It says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we have a helmet of the hope of salvation. So hope, that's a kingdom emotion and it guards our mind. And then over in Thessalonians, it talks about our breastplate. And it says we have a breastplate of faith and love. Two more guard, godly emotions and they guard our hearts. And then we know our feet are shod in the preparation of the gospel of peace. Right? That's another godly emotion, a kingdom feeling we want to live into. So we have hope, we have faith and love, and we have peace. So from head to foot, we are dressed up in godly emotion. And those kingdom feelings, they guard us. They protect us. That's actually our armor for spiritual warfare. And so, and we know, you know, even physiologically, this guards us and protects us. We are healthier when we live in these kingdom emotions. So we definitely, we, we want to go out of our way to live in faith and hope. I mean, it says in, in Romans that righteousness, peace, and joy is the kingdom of God. Peace and joy. Emotions. Kingdom emotions. And God's like, that's the, that's the kingdom. That's how important he values them. It's the atmosphere of heaven, right? And, and the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And that joy is our strength. So... Emotions are so important. That's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5.22, we know it's love and joy and peace. And it talks about the abiding realities. It's faith and hope and love. So compassion and hope, all of these things we want to just live into. We want to live inside of God's emotions. That will keep us because we want to live in his mind and think only his thoughts. But we want to live inside his heart and feel only his emotions. But the big question is, how do we feel God's emotions? You know, how do we feel full of faith and full of hope? And um, we do it by seeing our life the way God sees it, right? Because we know that pictures engage our emotions. And so we want to get God's version of, of our lives, of our situations. And we do this, um, we learn through the four keys to hearing God's voice. We learned about godly imagination. We step inside of it and God shows us what he's doing now or what he did even in, in a past situation. We absolutely do it at night through our dreams. We get a heavenly perspective, his point of view through our dreams at night. 
And then a situation that seemed scary or a situation that seemed overwhelming, oh, we get God's perspective on it, and then we're not overwhelmed anymore. We're, we're not scared anymore because we see him with us, and I suppose God is the majority. Um, the thing is, we really mm, we want to live as if our prayers have already been answered. Because actually they have. That's what it says in 1 John. It says, if we ask anything according to his will... We know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we already have what we have requested of him. So we've already got it. We can get inside of gratitude and thankfulness. We can praise him for it now because God the Father already gave us every blessing when he gave us Jesus. Everything we need is in Jesus. Every healing, all provision, it's already been given to us. So we just, we take it and we appropriate it and we actively receive it in a really, really big way to actively receive the blessings God has already made available to us is by being thankful for them. Gratitude, it attracts, it attracts that good thing that we want. Um, I mean, we, we, we see this in scripture. We step into a godly imagination. A godly imagination, Bill Johnson says it's, um, you know, picturing anything God says is true. Okay, so that we look in the Bible. Well, what does God say? Um, well, he says I'm healed. So I have a picture of me healed and whole. And, you know, he says he provides for all my needs according to his riches and glory. So I see a picture of, of me not having any lack in my life, you know, and he is a God of restoration and reconciliation. So I don't see division in my relationships. I see peace in my home and, and peace with my coworkers because God you know, helps me live at peace with all men. So those are godly imaginations. So I picture them and I live to that truth. I'm going to look at that and, and take my cue from that. That's God's version of my situation. And we see that that's, this is how Jesus lived, right? He didn't do anything unless he saw the Father doing it. He didn't say anything unless he heard the Spirit speaking it. He was constantly living tuned to the supernatural world. So he was always hearing Father's voice. He was always living to that inner kingdom through vision, vision by day and vision by night through our dreams. And um, in Luke 9, and in actually every, every time that it talks about, you know, Jesus fe- feeding the multitudes. You know, we know that story, but there is a progression to that miracle. And there are three things that happen, and verse 16 specifically brings it out. But in Luke 9, it talks about, hey, there's, there's thousands of people, and they're hungry. And uh, there's a few fish, a few loaves of bread. That's what he's got. Now, the disciples... They're showing us what not to do because they're just looking at the natural world. And they're like, everybody's starving. This is, this is tough situation. What's going to happen? So they're looking at the things that are seen and they're overwhelmed by that. But Jesus shows us what to do and he looks at what's not seen. And it says in Luke 9, 16 that, that Jesus looked into heaven. He looked into heaven, number one. Well, what's in heaven? There's provision. Is anybody hungry in heaven? there lack in heaven? No, there is more than enough. There is abundance. So he looked into heaven to see God's version of this situation. And then it says he gave thanks. He thanked the father for it. And then the third thing is, then he gave the bread to the disciples and they were distributed. It was distributed to the thousands and thousands of people. So he gave thanks before it, before it was ever even there. And he did that based on what he saw in heaven. He was looking into the spirit realm. He thanked God for it as if he already had it. 
And then he did have it. He, was, he, he created it through his thanksgiving because he knew that it was, it was Father's provision for him. See, we, we talked about how we can see the potential blessings and we can collapse that wave of glory. We can collapse that provision into our here and now when we see it and observe it and agree with the, the vision that God has given us. And... Um, in the Old Testament, even that's that's how it worked, you know. And in Second Chronicles twenty and Judges twenty, both of them, you know, it's stories about uh, Israel going to war and they're fighting against the enemy. And do you know what tribe they put out in front of the other ones? They sent Judah into battle first. Judah, and what does Judah mean? Praise, absolutely. So before they had the victory, they went out thanking God for the victory. Because they knew that it was going to come to pass. And then, then they had the victory. So there is definitely, over and over, we see this in Scripture. So that's, that's kind of how we get, we get our thoughts. Number one, we want a triune, the, the three parts of our house in union and unity. So the, the first part is the thoughts of our mind. We're only thinking God's thoughts. The second part is our heart and our spirit. So we are only engaging God's feelings of compassion, of gratitude, of faith. That's what we live inside of. That's two members of our house that we want in unity. And then the, the third one is body because we're spirit, soul, and body. So we want to get our body in line with it. So that's like, that's like the words of our mouth, our tongue. Um, we know that that's incredibly powerful. Um, uh, the late Derek Prince talked about having a right confession. We know we're supposed to hold fast our confession of faith. And a, a right confession is when we say exactly and only what God says about our situation. And we keep on saying it. Okay, so God says that we're healed. God says that we're prosperous. Um, God says that we are more than conquerors. God says that he always leads us into triumph. So that's the only picture I'm going to have in my mind. That's the only thought I'm going to think. And those are going to be the only words that come out of my mouth. Because we know Proverbs 18.21, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Right? We know that Job talks about when we decree a thing, it's established. And by our words, we're justified. Or by our words, we're condemned. Okay, so that's why the, the psalmist says, God, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Because he knew how incredibly powerful the words coming out of our mouths are. I mean, we might say, oh, there's idle thoughts or there's idle words. And God says, nope, they're extraordinarily powerful because we are created in God's image. And God created the world with his words. And that's, that's, that's what we do. We, we create with the thoughts in our mind. We create with the feelings in our heart. And we create with the words of our mouth. Because um, here's the amazing thing about our confession as believers. Because, you know, I mean, every single person on the planet, they're created in the image of the Father. So they have God breathed into them the breath of life. But as Christians, even more so, our spirits, it says in Corinthians, are joined to the Holy Spirit. So when we, when we speak something, in order to get the, the thoughts in our, out of our heads and out here, it needs breath. It needs spirit to, to push it out. In the original languages of the Bible, breath and spirit are the same word. So it's, we, we say something, and it's actually, remember, our spirit is joined to the Holy Spirit, so when we say something, it is the Spirit of God that is, like, enforcing 
and animating and declaring and backing up whatever comes out of our mouth. So we want to see how totally empowered we are by this it is a very powerful weapon that we, that we wield. And so we just want to realize, wow, this is we're creating with our, with our thoughts, with our emotions, and with the words of our mouths. And so we, we looked at, I mean, this is, it's, we wanna, it's amazing when we can get this revelation. We looked at, you know, Satan in the Garden of Eden and how we thought, man, this is the time he should bring out his big weapons, right? And so if we fast forward through the timeline of history, if there's any other time that Satan wants to be really strategic in derailing mankind, okay, that's going to be when Jesus came to earth, right? Because here, the Son of God, he is on a rescue mission to our planet. He is about to save the whole world. Okay, so now Satan comes, and if I'm Satan, I'm going to pull out my biggest guns, my supernatural ballistic missiles, the biggest, deadliest, strongest, most powerful weapon I have at my disposal. That is what I'm going to use when I encounter Jesus in the wilderness, the temptation. So what does he use? Words. The same thing he used with Eve. He just said, hey, if you're really the son of God, then do this and this. So he did the same thing. He just used words to introduce doubt, to say, to question, you know, his identity. If you're the son of God, then prove it. Okay, so it wasn't, he, he couldn't do anything because all he has is words. All he has is thoughts and lies and deception, and he doesn't have any real power over us. So we saw how not to do it in, in the garden with Eve, but then we see what Jesus did. He took the thought captive. He just, he heard Satan's lie. Well, if you're really God, then son of God, do this. And he's, uh, he quoted scripture. He quoted the word of God. He, he took that thought captive. He arrested it and he lined it up with father's, father's word. That was truth. And so he didn't engage the lie. Instead, he spoke truth in the light. It um, pushed back the darkness. So that was an example. That's how to do it. Um, so that's, that's what we want. By having unity in our triune being, the thoughts of our heart, the thoughts of our mind, the emotions of our heart, and the words of our mouth, when they are in agreement, in alignment, when they're congruent, we're in a very, very powerful place. Um, we see this in Scripture. If you guys want to turn to Mark 11, it speaks to this um, very uh, principle. And in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, it's um, some pretty familiar scriptures that are so blockbuster. Um, 11.22, Jesus said, have the faith of God. That's what it actually says in the original. Have the faith of God. Have the God kind of faith. Well, what kind of faith does God have? Well, we know he's a triune being. He's a trinity. So uh, verse 23 of uh, Mark 11 talks about it. He says, truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it shall be granted to him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. So two times in these verses, he is speaking to that triune house of ours. So see in verse 23, he says, okay, whoever says to this mountain, 
says, whoever says it. So that's number one. That's our body. That's the words of our mouth. Whoever says it, be taken up and cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart. So that's our heart. That's our spirit in line with the words of our mouth. And then it says, but believes. So we're thinking this is going to come to pass. I think that this is true. That's the third part. That's our soul. They're all in agreement and in alignment. Then he's going to get what he said. In verse 24, it says the same thing. He says it again. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you, number one, pray. So that's your mind. That's your soul. And then you ask. So that's your mouth. That's your body. And then you believe. That's your heart that you spirit and your spirit. You believe what? That you have already received them. You believe that you have already received them and then they'll be granted to you. So he's talking about living as if our prayers have already been answered. Okay, we're not in stress. We're not in overwhelm. We're totally peaceful. We're totally grateful. We're totally full of faith that what God says he's going to do, he will do. Because he watches over his word to perform it. He is always faithful. So it's almost like a Um, It's like a combination lock with like three sets of numbers, right? And you have to get them all in alignment, all in agreement in order to unlock. So that's what we want to do. We want to get all parts of our triune house in order, all three members in that place. And then that unlocks the blessings and the provision. Uh, We see an Old Testament example of this um, in Genesis chapter uh, 15. God is talking to Abram. And he says, hey, Abram, you are going to be the father of a multitude. So right there, Abram, he didn't have any kids at all. So he is changing his thoughts to get in line with God's thoughts. Okay, that's pretty good. So he's getting one member of his house lining up. He's getting his uh, thoughts to line up with God's thoughts. That's living into the mind of Christ, the mind of God. And then it says that God gave Abram a picture a picture of what this would look like. This is a godly imagination. So God gives us pictures in our dreams at night. God gives us pictures in our visions during the day. And what he did for Abram, he said, your descendants, they're going to be like the stars in the sky, like the sand in the seashore. That was a picture that he could look at and ponder and meditate on. And it says in Genesis 15, 5 and 6, that God took him, Abram, outside and said, okay, look towards the heaven, count the stars if you're able to count them. And God said to him, so shall your descendants be. And then he believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So it was after he saw the picture, after he had that vision and that godly imagination, then his heart was engaged. Then he had heart faith and belief because pictures move our emotions. So God will constantly be giving us his pictures to live into and live out of because he wants our heart to line up with his heart. So that picture created faith in his spirit. So remember, he was thinking God's thoughts, and now he's getting his heart and his um, spirit in line. That's two members of his house are in a good place of agreement and alignment with God. And then we know out of the abundance of our heart, uh, our mouth speaks. And so that was the third part that God spoke to Abram. He changed his name. He said, no longer will you be called Abram. Now you're going to be Abraham because that means a father of a multitude. And so then Abram Abram started calling himself, I am Abraham. I am a father of a multitude. So now he's got the third member of his house in order. 
He's got his thoughts lined up with God's thoughts. He's got his feelings filled up with faith and belief to God's feelings. He's living into the heart of God. And now he's speaking and confessing what God says about him and his situation. So all three are in agreement and alignment. And we know that birthed the miracle, right? That's um, He was able to live into that promise that God had given to him because he, he believed it not only in his mind, not only with his heart, but all three, with his heart, with his mind, and with the words of his mouth, he agreed with God. So he made his confession. It was personal. It was present tense. It was positive. You know, and that's what we want to do. He said, I am a father of a multitude. So we don't want to say, well, I'm going to be healed. No. Say, thank you, God, that I am healed. It's personal. It's present tense. It's positive. Because actually, we were healed 2,000 years ago at the cross. It's already done. So thank you, Father, that I'm healed. Thank you, Father, that I'm blessed. Um, because we're always, we're always living from a picture in the back of our minds or in the back of our heart. We're either living from like a victim mentality or we're living from a, vi- a victor's mindset, you know? And so we just want to see, see ourselves the way that God sees us because we live from that picture and it informs every decision, um, every thought, every word. And it, it's just a natural overflow. It's like a default, whatever we're looking at, in the back of our minds, that's what that's what's going to flow out. So we want to make sure it's only God's pictures that we're looking at. Whatever the Bible says is true about us, that's what we picture and see and speak is true about about ourselves. So um, so here's the thing, you know, when we sometimes we struggle in life. <laughs> sometimes we do not see the victory that the Bible says is ours. So what is up with that, right? We kind of try to explain this somehow. And so we're like, oh, well, okay, it must be Satan. Because, ooh, he's big and strong, and he must be attacking me. And that's why I can't get this victory. Yeah, that is not the revelation. Because Satan can't do that. Because Satan is an unemployed cherub, okay? He is fallen. He has been stripped of all power. What was that? He's disarmed and defeated. Amen. And see, this is the problem. We have a picture in the back of our minds that we're small and Satan is big and he's out to get us. And we're like, ooh, we're afraid. And then we're thinking this thought and we have this picture. And then we speak out of that and we're going to, according to our faith, it will be done unto us. That's what happened to Job, right? What he feared came upon him. He was expecting the worst, and according to his faith, that was done unto him. So we do not want to be like that. We need to realize our the picture of our warfare is so skewed, guys. I mean, how many of us think, you know, it just seems like, ooh, spiritual warfare, it's God versus Satan. You know, it's heaven versus hell. It's good versus evil, and it's like that. Okay, it's not like that. It is not just God versus Satan, as if they are somehow uh, equal, rivals as if they're somehow on the same plane or like opposites. No, no, no. There is, you know, we almost see it's like a a square. Okay. There's God here. And then there's like the good angels. There's like Gabriel and Michael. And so, and then it's like Satan, you know, and he's fighting God. And then Satan's fallen angels and the demons are down here. And somehow, so we have put Satan up here is right on the same plane with God. Well, it's crazy. I mean, we would never do that with, like, Gabriel, with, like, Michael. Well, they're angels. We know. They're, they're down here. They're, okay, so it's not a square. Okay, it's like a triangle. 
Okay, there is God. There's just God. He is the uncreated one. Okay, he is omniscient. God knows everything. Satan is not omniscient. Satan does not know everything. Okay, God is omnipotent. He has all power. Satan is not omnipotent. He doesn't have any power. He's been stripped of all power. You know, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere at all times. Satan is not omnipresent. Satan is not everywhere at all times. So there is, there's no duality here. There is nothing in common between God and Satan because Satan is just a, he's a created being. And so if we have this triangle, we've got God, and then we've got some good angels. We've got Gabriel, Michael, we love these guys. And then, and then way down over here, there's like Satan, because he's more like an angel, except for he's not even here. He's like down here because he's been stripped of the power, right? He is defeated. He's devoid of all authority. But where are we then on this triangle? Where do you think we are? There's some awesome verses in Psalms that I have to read to you because um, we've got to get a picture of how God sees us. And in Psalms chapter 8, verse 3, Psalms chapter 8, verse 3 tells us where we are in this whole thing. It says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what's man? that you take thought of him, the son of man, that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than God and just crown him with glory and majesty. You've made him to rule over the works of thy hands and you've put all things under his feet. Whew. So that's pretty awesome. So I'm up here. We're up here with God. We are created in his image. It says, that's Elohim. That's the word in the, the Hebrew. So we are a little lower than Elohim. So God is up here. Where are we? We're not down here. We're not in the rough. We're not with the angels. We're up here with God because we're created in his image, right? We are his, we are his children and our spirits are joined with the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are partakers of the divine nature. We have been filled up with the fullness of God. All of these scriptural truths speak to this, that we are up here with God, ruling and reigning with him. So we don't, we don't need to be afraid because even the devil, before he fell, he was under us. Right? Because it says, Hebrews 1.14, it talks about angels. They're ministering spirits sent to render service for those of us who inherit salvation. Okay, so that's us. So they're angels or spirits who are meant to minister and bless and serve us. So even before he fell, he was under us. And now, he's down here. He is way, way down. Uh, Hebrews 2.14 says he is, you know, totally defeated. Um, power is gone. And we know Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus disarmed the principalities. He made a public display of them. He triumphed over them. So that's the picture that we want to hold in the back of our minds. It's not big and scary. He's defeated. He's devoid of power. He is a loser. He is a failure. That's what God is trying to get across to us. Yeah. Amen. And there's actually, this is kind of funny. I don't know if you guys have seen it. There's an old American movie, The Wizard of Oz. And uh, it was, there's an original version of it, black and white, way back, Judy Garland version. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but in the, the Wizard of Oz, they were all going to, to off to meet the wizard. 
they were all so scared of this wizard because he was like big and powerful and everybody, they didn't want to talk to him. There's actually a verse of scripture that says that Satan is the Wizard of Oz. It's pretty close. In the Hebrew, it says that. Just kidding. (laughs) But the idea is there. Because in the Wizard of Oz, they were all so scared of this big, powerful wizard. And you get to the end of the movie, and the wizard was just a short little guy with a megaphone. And he was just like behind these curtains with shadows and light. So he seemed really big, but he had a little squeaky voice that was just projected in the megaphone and he had lights and shadows. So it was just smoke and mirrors. It was just an illusion. It was just deception that he was big or strong or had any influence or power. And we see in Isaiah chapter 14, this is talking about, you know, Satan and You know, Satan was saying, I'm going to ascend to the heights, you know, I'm going to make myself like the most high. And God's like, nope, you're going to be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. And then it says in Isaiah uh, 14, verse 16, so those who will see you, Satan, those who will see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Is this the one who shook the kingdoms? Like when we see Satan for who he is, we will never be afraid of him ever again. So we need to get God's revelation of of who we are in God and who God is in us and where Satan is. He is he is totally defeated. He is under our feet. So God is always leading us in victory. You know, what does that victory look like? What does that triumph look like? How does it feel to be more than a conqueror? Um, How does it feel to have my prayers already answered? You know, so in conclusion, that's just what what it's about. You know, a united house is where there is victory. A united house is where our prayers are already answered. And we're living from that place. And we want to realize that, you know, Satan, this is the only way he gets in. He just tries to trick us. You know, a little fiery dart, a little thought. We just take it captive. And if he can just, if he can just get derail us in one of these areas, then he's going to have influence. So we just make sure, okay, my thoughts... They're only God's thoughts. I'm living into the mind of Christ. My feelings, they are only the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm living into kingdom emotions. I'm living out of the heart of God. And then I am only ever exclusively saying, speaking out of my mouth what God says about me, about my health, about my relationships, about my finances. So we live from that place of congruence and unity, and we're we're unstoppable. Actually, that's what it says in the Bible. We're invincible. We're unstoppable. Because remember, like in... The Tower of Babel, remember they had this idea, we're going to build this thing, Tower to the Heavens, and they were all united in one language, and they were united in intention. And so God said, oh, well, we don't want them to do that, so we're going to change their language because they're so powerful. They were going to be able to do it because of the power of that unity. So if we can get unified with God's thoughts and God's feelings in God's word, then we can we can also, we can be like that. We can, we can do everything that he wants us to do, everything that Jesus did, and the greater works. Um, so I just want to encourage you guys um, to ask God for a, a vision, a picture of his version of your situation. You know, look to see a picture of yourself healed, 
you know, or maybe your marriage or your family restored, or maybe your job situation, you know, blessed. Ponder that picture, meditate on the godly imagination, and, and don't get up from your quiet time with the Lord until you're in a place of gratitude, until you already feel that your prayer has been answered and that you can live throughout your day as if your prayer has already been answered, because it has been. Because when we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and we've already received those blessings from him. So, you know, this morning I just want to ask you, you know, Jesus talked about this mountain, we can move the mountains. Um, You know, and we all have mountains in our lives, you know, and whether it's maybe it's a doctor's report, this, it's a bad report, and that's a mountain in our life. Or maybe it's a, a child, and they're not walking with the Lord, and that seems like this big mountain, and it's hard for us. Or maybe we need a job or a promotion. We need our financial situation, and that is just a mountain in our lives right now. Well, I just want to encourage us for a moment to get to the other side of that mountain and just go there with Jesus and feel how that feels. You know, after you get the good doctor's report, after you have that testimony of healing, how are you going to feel? You know, after your child comes back to their home and they're walking with the Lord, after you get uh, the job situation um, changed around that you want, you're going to be so relieved, right? You're not going to be stressed out. You're going to be so grateful. You're going to be in thankfulness to God, and you're going to be so full of faith and hope and optimism. So I want you to go there right now in the imagination of your heart and just close your eyes, and whatever that picture is, Just ask God to give you a picture of his version of your situation and how how will you feel once he has answered your prayers. Experience the end from the beginning. Live into those promises now. And I just want to pray for us this morning um, that we will live into this victory that Jesus bought for us on the cross. I just thank you, God, that when we agree with heaven, God, that when we agree within ourselves that we are demonstrating mountain-moving faith, you know, with every thought, we're expressing faith. With every emotion, we are expressing faith. With every word from our mouth, we are expressing faith. And that faith, it's a supernatural magnet. It is attracting all of those blessings that you have promised right to us, God. And we just thank you that we live in a place of inner unity and an agreement just within ourselves that we're united in our own house. All our members, we're thinking your thoughts. We're feeling your feelings. We're speaking your words, God. And and because we're in unity, our, our victory is guaranteed that you've said that in your word, that we are more than conquerors. God, you're an awesome God. You do not know how to fail. So we're just grateful that you're our dad. You're on our side. In this situation, you are working it out. You've already worked it out. We are so grateful that you work all things for our good, God, and for your glory. We are thankful that you give us every good gift. We thank you for this answer to prayer, God. We thank you that you are faithful to watch over your word, to perform it, and that you are doing exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine, God, according to your spirit's power that is at work in us, in our hearts, in our lives, in our situations. God, we thank you now for the blessing that is on its way. We thank you now for the provision that's on its way. We thank you for the healing. God, we just thank you uh, for your presence and that that is already done. 
We bless you, God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen.